Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 13 of our Book of Acts devotional series called Christ in the Crisis. A little late today on the production of this with some tech issues, but that probably won't matter for most of you because I've discovered a lot of you uh, listen or watch the recording after, but I do see a couple of people are on now live so please give me some feedback. Let me know how uh, you you like it and uh, send me some questions, whatever. It's good to be able to connect with whoever is on the other side of this camera. And uh, remember as well, we'll put it on the screen for you here as usual, uh, that uh, on the 31st of May, you are going to be quizzed on this material. So we're going through the entire book of Acts. Uh, now we'll be in it chapter by chapter, Monday to Friday, and then on Sunday we'll do a full sermon uh, also on the book of Acts. And on the 31st of May, which happens to be Pentecost Sunday, we are going to do an electronic quiz, and the winner is going to get an iPad, brand new. I think it's 10.2 inches, 128 gigs, uh, retina screen. So if you know uh, that kind of tech, it's a pretty good machine. So um, just a little bit of incentive for you as uh as we journey through this material together okay and feel free to share this with anybody uh christian non-christian other religion doesn't matter uh we're going through the book of acts which is a book about real people who really lived and who were the first followers of jesus and we see how they lived even in moments of crisis so we're picking it up here at the end of acts chapter 6 and into chapter 7 and we see that Stephen has been arrested, and he has been arrested for a similar thing that Jesus was arrested for, except they're accusing him of talking about Jesus. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us he is in front of the Sanhedrin Stephen is just as Jesus was in front of the Sanhedrin and they tried to accuse Jesus falsely so of blasphemy of uh, saying he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it and uh, all kinds of things and they couldn't really get a real charge against Jesus um, and you see the same thing is happening to Stephen as is happening to or happened to Jesus perhaps some months or even maybe up to two years prior. Um, the high priest asks Stephen, are these charges true? This may well be the same high priest, Caiaphas. Uh, in my view, it is, but possible it isn't and regardless very similar to what happened to jesus that you read in the gospels are these charges true and so stephen is going to answer and he's going to give a little speech to them now you have to understand that this is all in a jewish context okay stephen uh as we learned yesterday is one of the believers who happened to be greek but he's speaking to Jews, and this is all in a Jewish context, okay? And so what he's going to do is give them a whole litany of history to try and demonstrate a point. So Stephen is being persecuted because of his preaching about Jesus 
and the resurrection of Jesus and salvation through Jesus, that he is, in fact, the Hebrew Messiah. And so he's going to to give them a little lesson. He's going to start in the book of Genesis. He's going to start with Abraham uh, and the promise made to Abraham, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. And he's going to basic, basically quote some Old Testament history here, which all of the audience would know. He's talking to the Sanhedrin. So this isn't like this is new stuff for the Sanhedrin to learn. He's going to explain to them something. And so he starts with Abraham and says how Abraham went uh, into the land that God showed him and that God told him for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they'll be enslaved, referring prophetically to what would happen in Egypt. And he's quoting from Genesis. He talks about Jacob and and the 12 patriarchs. He talks about Joseph. He talks about how Joseph was sold into slavery and how God was with Joseph and gave Joseph wisdom. He talks about the famine uh, that struck all Egypt and Canaan. All of these things the Sanhedrin would have known. And he goes through the history. He talks about the salvation of Joseph's family. And um, uh, verse 17 of Acts 7, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. He talks about the new king who, who, uh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, who came to power in Egypt. This is the beginning of the book of Exodus. And the, the first, uh, that the children, the newborn babies would be thrown into the Nile so they would, they would die. This is all the book of Exodus. It talks about Moses' book of Exodus. Um, it talks about the call of Moses. It talks about how Moses fled to Midian after uh, uh, he tried to reconcile two Hebrews. And the day before, he himself had killed an Egyptian and he, how he fled to Midian and how uh, uh, God called him and uh, he just goes through this whole litany of Old Testament history and if we're reading this from a a Jewish mindset we're like well where are you going with this Stephen Uh, you are on trial in front of the Sanhedrin what's your point and he starts to get to it here And he says, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, verse 37, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. That prophet is referring to Jesus. And then he says, verse 39, our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. And they told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And they made a golden calf and so on. And they they were stubborn and they rebelled against Moses. And they got into things like astrology. Uh, verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant uh, uh, law with them in the wilderness. And he talks about the, the building of the tabernacle. And then the first temple would be built by Solomon and he continues and then he can then he gets to his point in verse 51 you stiff-necked people that is a term that God would use uh, way back in the book starting in the book of Exodus you stiff-necked people your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised 
You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. We'll stop there for just a moment. He gives them a whole litany of stories that they know from the Old Testament to demonstrate the point that what God said even as early as the book of Exodus is still true today. He's saying you, you have missed it. You have, you have um, followed your, your own sin yourselves. You're a stubborn and stiff-necked people. You have even missed the coming of the Messiah who was right there in front of you. We have to be very, very sensitive that this is all in a context of a religious attack and a religious debate in a religious court, a Jewish court. And we have to interpret this through a Jewish understanding, because if we do not, then this passage can be twisted to be turned into an anti-Jewish passage. If you're ever reaching Jewish people with the message of Jesus, they are taught that this book of Acts that we, that we are reading and that the New Testament that we are reading is anti-Jewish. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. The writers of the book themselves are Jewish. I mean, uh, Stephen, while he's a Greek, he's chosen uh, by uh, Jewish leaders of the early church to solve a problem where Greeks were feeling like they were being overlooked. So he's very familiar with Judaism and he's talking to Jews, and this is, a, this is all in a Jewish context. So this is not an anti-Semitic book or an anti-Semitic passage. What he's doing is he's saying some things never change, and, and you're missing it just as your forefathers have missed it. The Messiah was right in front of you. He's not blaming them uh, for the death of Jesus Again, that's what Jewish people are taught today, is that Christians hate them because supposedly they killed Jesus, and that's why. Uh, th this is not true. Even if you start in the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, we see that the, the, the death of Jesus is something that God foreordained and that God put into motion, and God used the Jewish leaders, God used the Gentiles, God used Pontius Pilate, he used everybody to accomplish his will. And the ultimate lesson is that uh, God wants the Jewish people saved. And he, he comes to them first as a matter of priority. And Stephen is saying, you, have, you haven't changed. And uh, you've, you've persecuted the prophets before you. You've persecuted the ones that predicted the coming of the Messiah. And now you've even uh, betrayed and killed the messiah himself so again you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it and when the members of the sanhedrin heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him but stephen full of the holy spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of god and look at this and jesus standing not seated, but standing at the right hand of God. Wow, that is quite a statement. 
that is a position of authority by the right hand of God and standing as if he's waiting for something or someone, and that something or someone is Stephen. And Stephen utters these words, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh, man, that's that's really, really uh, something to say because in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And uh, this passage is suspiciously familiar to that. It's in the middle, I think, of, the, of Daniel chapter 7. And Jesus used the same passage. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And verse 57, this takes them over the top. They cover their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city that would be Jerusalem and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Saul of Tarsus. We sometimes call him Paul. He wrote more than half of the New Testament, a Jewish man who became a follower of Christ. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. If you know the Gospels, this is what Jesus said to the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Very similar. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Very similar to Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he said this, he fell asleep, which, which means that Stephen died. Now, stoning, we sometimes think of it as, you know, a bunch of people throwing rocks at somebody. That's not what it was. Uh, the, the, I think it's the Mishnah, the uh, commentary on the Old Testament law, tells us a little bit about how stoning took place. It's quite something. They would, they would take the, the, uh, the criminal and push for a confession from the criminal, and then they would, they would throw the criminal into a pit, a very deep pit, and uh, they would throw them, I think it was face down, and then the criminal would have to turn over if the, if the, the fall didn't kill him, and then they would drop a large stone onto his chest. And if that didn't kill him, the whole assembly would keep throwing stones at him. I mean, can you imagine... It's an utterly brutal uh, procedure that they used back then. It's, a, it's kind of bizarre because the Jewish people did not have the right to publicly, legally execute uh, under the Romans. They had to get permission from the Romans if they were going to do that. seems that they proceeded to do it anyway in the case of Stephen. And um, amazing how his response is virtually identical to that of Jesus when Jesus is being crucified. And this shows that this man is a disciple of Jesus right to the end of his life. It is an amazing, realistic story because Stephen is a man who performed signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus just days prior. 
and yet he is not rescued by God, and yet he does not perform some kind of miracle, but he sees Jesus consciously and alive, and the implication here is that he passes immediately into the presence of God, conscious and alive, even though his body dies. And this is the first time we see something like this in the Bible, um, where somebody has an experience where their physical body dies, and yet they enter into the literal conscious uh, presence of God. And here you have Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this opens up an understanding for us of what heaven is like. Uh, there is no soul sleep when the body dies. The soul doesn't sleep for, you know, eons of time and then pass into eternity at some point. There is no soul sleep in the Bible. To be absent from the body, the Apostle Paul wrote, is to be at home with the Lord. There's no delay. Conscious and alive, the soul or spirit passes into the presence of God and knows it even though the body dies. There's a separation from the spirit or soul. Those terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament and the body. And we see this on display here with Stephen. And it is, in my view, a very strong uh, uh, piece of evidence that what we read in the Gospels is very true about what Jesus said. And uh, Stephen models this right to his very death. And the reader would obviously look at the book of Acts and say, man, that's exactly like Jesus. And that is the point. When a person becomes a true follower and disciple of Christ, they're able to follow him even to the point of the grave. No matter what the circumstance, I mean, this is, the, uh, this is a brutal, brutal way uh, to die. And yet Stephen faced it and he, he preaches this brilliant sermon that gets them so frustrated, so angry, and yet so convicted. Um, and uh, he's the first martyr, we call him, in uh, the history of the church. Remember, Jesus said, you will be my martyrs. One way of understanding that word is that you would even have the power to lose your life for the cause of the gospel. And that's exactly uh, what we see here. It is an incredible moment, a very serious moment, but uh, it just teaches us that uh, we can even face the grave uh, when we have Christ and he will be waiting for us uh, on the other side. So I hope that is an encouragement to you as brutal a story as it is. And we're going to continue and move into chapter 8 tomorrow. I'll be a little bit later again uh, tomorrow if you're watching live. But in any case, um, God bless you. And I look forward to being with you for number 14. Keep watching and keep persevering as we journey together. God bless you.